Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk some football. Jay Drew, D News, covers BYU, is going to join us later in the hour. Coming up in the next segment, Ryan Abraham, who covers uh, the Trojan football program for uscfootball.com. He'll join us. But right now, let's try to meet someone who's uh, trying to take care of some of the most vulnerable people in the community. It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and we are joined now by Jeanette Bott, CEO, Executive Director of the Utah Food Bank. Jeanette, good morning. Good morning. So, Jeanette, I'm, I'm curious. I think we're all curious. We've all seen the headlines. We've seen the lines. We've seen the video from around the country and some here in Utah. How much is demand up for the Utah Food Bank right now? Oh, you know, David, it depends on the area of the state because, of course, it's different based on counties. But for the most part, right here across the Wasatch Front, I think we can safely say it's up about three times where it was two months ago. You do a lot of things in terms of, I don't want to say it fundraising because it's food raising, basically, uh, races and whatnot. How has that been affected because of what we've got going on? Well, everything that we've had planned for the year has been canceled. Um, that was our gala in May. That will be our golf tournament in June. Uh, then our big race for um, Thanksgiving morning is our 5 and 10K race. Um, and that's in question right now. And that would be the last one this year if we could have that. But uh, quite frankly, we're pretty doubtful that that will happen in, in November as well. PK's usually at the front of the pack, Jeanette, just so you know. <laughs> He's got a good stride. I've run in that race probably six, seven years in a row. So what you're telling me is on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I don't got to go to bed early now. Well, maybe you do. Don't 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 change your plans quite yet. Let's be positive okay. for just a little bit longer. All right. So I want to get into a couple things here with you that you have uh, you have drilled into my brain over the years about cash versus cans. But let's start because the uh, Larry H. Miller Company has a food drive going at dealerships, at the theaters, uh, at the parking place uh, northeast of the arena where a lot of people park right near the main entrance at the ballpark where the bees play. Uh, They're collecting food. The benefit of the food drives and the food items you'd be looking for that people can help out today and tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow with that? Well, you know, the, the great thing about a food drive when it's put in this kind of a setting is for the most part, people buy what their family would enjoy and then they donate it to another family and that's the perfect way to do it. Because if your family likes it, another one will as well. And it also then gives us variety. We buy at such large volume and such quantities of the same item. The food drive really allows us to give families a little bit of a variety in what it is they're planning for their meals. So is that what's going on now? Any other stuff that uh, people can do to help out? You know, we've, we've always been, we've always talked about three things at the Utah Food Bank, food, time, and money. And, you know, food is always a necessity. We're asking people to continue to donate food, whether it's here at the food bank or a pantry in your neighborhood or even at one of the grocery stores you're shopping at. Most of them have bins by the front door. So food's always appreciated. The time situation is a little bit different. We're not having volunteers in the warehouse. Uh, We haven't had for many weeks, and that's been an interesting change to how we do business. But for the safety and the health of our volunteers and our staff, we made that decision. So we're hoping, you know, by summer we can have volunteers back here. So we'll need that time eventually, just not right now. So, you know, that brings us to money. And, you know, it's an important job that we 
recognize our efficiency. And with that, I mean, you can donate the food to us, but we need to be able to get it to San Juan County or get it to, um, to, to Logan or wherever we're going because we're responsible for the entire state. So we have that incredible transportation cost of vehicles, of maintenance, of insurance, of drivers, all the things that come with that logistical part of our business. And the money helps us with that. And then it helps us with, with operating costs here at the warehouse. So cash is great for us. But I think the key is to our buying power. When we have to buy product that isn't donated, then our dollar that comes from you, we turn that into $7.66 worth of goods and services. So I can use your dollar, my buying power, and it's a win-win for all involved. So I think a lot of people who are accountants or who are managers in other businesses or own other businesses are thinking, you turn $1 into $7.66, how do you do that? But I guess that comes down to your partnerships with Feeding America, with Grocery Rescue. You're not, you're not paying retail, and, and really you get a lot of food, and the, and the key is just being able to move it. Exactly. And so, you know, we, we always joke and say that, you know, my history as a great shopper would, would come into play someday. I just didn't think it would be this magnitude. And, and actually, my shopping expertise has nothing to do with it. But the fun of it is, is we really do have the ability to use all the resources that you just named. And then all of the in-kind donations that come to us, whether they are food or whether it is the transportation companies that help us, whether it is the discounting fuel, all those things play into that um, Scenario and that formula is, is given to us by Feeding America, so all all food banks can figure out where they stand. So, you know, we're proud of that amount. We're proud of what we we do with the dollars that come to us, and it's important to us to be good stewards of those dollars that donors are, are sending our way. So, for people who want to donate online and, and stretch their dollars and, and cash in on that seven dollars and sixty six cents, where do people go? How do people do that? You know, they can do it a variety of ways. Um, the, the, the program that Larry Miller's hosting, that uh, organization, will let that run through tomorrow. So you can go to their webpage. Um, they're listed at lhm.com. And then uh, if you move into their, their webpage to Driven to Assist, you can find a place with a virtual food drive. You can indicate the product on there that you would like to buy, donate your money there, and then we'll use your money and our buying power. If you don't get to do this in the next couple of days before that's over, you then can come to utahfoodbank.org. We, too, have a virtual food drive page that's up all the time. And, again, you select the product. We use your dollar and our buying power. Jeanette, thanks a lot for your help, and uh, good luck to the food bank uh, going forward here. I know a lot of people are going to be counting on you. Thank you so much. We appreciate your support, and it's great to speak with you. Have a great day, guys. Jeanette Bott from the Utah Food Bank right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, USC football landing a lot of big-time recruits. Why? Stay with us. We'll talk with Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com next. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and Ryan Abraham joining us, uscfootball.com. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. Good to talk a little football during this crazy quarantine stuff. Well, you know, the last few times you've been on, we've been talking about all the things that are wrong with USC football. But now we're here to talk about what's right. 
The high school kids are flocking to USC. How much of this is uh, staff changes? How much of it is one key staff member? How much of this is something else? Why is everything trending so well for the Trojans? Yeah, it's so weird. They had their worst recruiting class in Internet history uh, last year, the class of 2020, and now they're in the top ten. They were a top five at one point, and they've had seven commitments over the past, like, six weeks. So it's been a very different road going forward and obviously it's a a weird time because you can't have visits it's an extended dead period from the ncaa but to me it's really about the effort that's been put in by the new coaching staff and bringing in an entirely new defensive staff you have the you know pac-12 current pac-12 recruiter of the year and dante williams that came down from oregon craig niver has been a relentless recruiter coming over from texas so i feel like it's really been they've hired a bunch of coaches that know recruiting is the lifeblood of college football, and they've just hit the ground running. I think they've sold that tradition of USC, and uh, it's been working well. I mean, they get a kid, Brandon Campbell from Tennessee, committed a four-star running back that's I'm, – I'm sorry, from Texas, not from Tennessee, who's committed. He's never even been to campus. So we'll see if they ever keep it going. And, they, you know, obviously if you have a season, they want to have some positive momentum on the field. But just having a good staff in place that is putting an effort – you're so showing the results right now. So this Dante Williams is an interesting character uh, for me. Went to Idaho State, which is up the street from us. Got his start in coaching at Harbor College. And I covered Harbor College for the Daily Breeze back in the 90s. And my whole goal on Saturday night sitting in their press box was to not fall asleep. Because Harbor <laughs> College sucked. I don't know if they still do. But the Seahawks played. They were a good baseball school under Jim O'Brien actually played ball at BYU, uh, but it was known in the South Bay that Camino was the good football school and Harbor was the good baseball school, and Harbor College sucked. Then he goes to Camino the next year. Then he goes to Mount Sac. Then Nevada. These are like consecutive years. Becomes a grad assistant at Washington, and then boom, San Jose, San Jose, Arizona, Nebraska, Oregon, and then he moves. So he's like a one-year deal. And I read a thing in the Times, and DJ saw it too, where he's talking about he's going to take back what's rightfully SC's. Uh, what did SC do to be able to get him away from Oregon? Because Oregon had to be a pretty good situation. It was a pretty good situation. I think there was a combination of things. And he, you know, he built – you talked about those stops in Southern California – you build those relationships with the JCs and the high schools, and I think that's something that Dante Williams has been able to do. He obviously relates to the players very well, and he's it, worked. You know, he's, he's just been a relentless recruiter. I think it worked well in Nebraska when he was there, and it was a great situation in Oregon. He did have a family member in Southern California that there were some illnesses there, so there was, a, you know, there was an underlying reason that he would want to go. But I feel like the new athletic department, Mike Bowen, Brandon Sosna have come in and really been, you know, taking this kind of professional attitude to negotiating and trying to convince people to come to USC. They didn't break the bank to bring him in. Uh, he was getting paid really well up in uh, up in Oregon, but I think they showed him, hey, here's the things you could do when you're at USC, you know, giving him, you know, giving him more money but not necessarily, you know, breaking the bank like I said and putting him in a situation where he could have a multi-year deal, come back to Southern California with his family and really go out there and recruit. So I, I think the approach that this new, you know, now having a professional athletic department instead of just former football players that don't know what they're doing, I think that was a big part of it. So they were able to convince him to come down, and it's a big reason why they're having this recruiting success right now. 
So we always thought that Clay had some support on campus, right? They had the president in his corner, but the boosters just couldn't stand him. Uh, But fans, boosters are fans. They're just fans with more money. And they can be pretty fickle. Is everybody on board now, or he's got to go out and win the conference before everybody's on board? Yeah, he's everyone's not on board. There's there's people that are. He, it's, they've won some people over, and I think building some of that momentum. Now, it hurt them not to be able to have spring football because fans, a lot of the boosters, wanted to see more physical practices. They wanted to see the defensive coaches recruit more because they were kind of part-time recruiters for the most part. They're doing that. But they didn't get to see what they wanted to see, which was spring football, tackling, more hitting, and and not the kind of soft approach that really this team has kind of had the last couple of years. So I think that's hurt Clay Hilton a little bit, that they didn't get to showcase what the new schemes were going to be and what the new attitude on the practice field was going to be. But he has won some of the people back over. But, you know, people still remember getting crushed by Oregon. People remember the last game where you got crushed by Iowa, even though Keaton Slovis got hurt and missed half that game. But I feel like he's going to have to win a bunch of games to even attempt to win some of the people over. There's there's some fans, guys, that just want Clay Hill and gone. It doesn't matter. And I, I think they're looking for what the bar needs to be. They don't want to see a team go 9-3 and three and lose to, like, Notre Dame, Alabama, and Oregon and bring Clay Hilton back. They want this team to be able to compete with those, you know, top-caliber programs. So it's, it's I'm curious to see what the bar really will be if they're going to, you know, give Clay Hilton another year, especially with this coronavirus stuff going on. But he hasn't won over the majority of the fans yet. He's won over some, but I think winning on the field is the only thing that's going to win over some of those other fans. And it, it might take a couple of years of that to win over the diehards that just don't want him to be the head coach. So what's going on with JT Daniels? So I, with the new, the latest that we've heard from the NCAA and the uh, the the exemption that you could allow one-time exemption and transfer without penalty. We thought that would go into play this year. And I think that's the main reason that JT Daniels entered the, the transfer portal. So we could kind of look at his different options if he was able to transfer this year and be able to play right away where he'd have three years to play instead of two. Now that it looks like that's going to be delayed until 2021, I feel like he's likely going to come back. I don't think he wants to transfer out and sit out a year, he could stay back at USC for one year and then graduate early and then move on and, and have two years to play somewhere else. So uh, I think that's the ideal situation. It's similar to what Max Brown did when he transferred out of USC. But without the ability to transfer and be eligible right away, I just it's hard for me to picture him leaving right now. There's probably going to be opportunities this year, depending on you know when the season starts, if it starts at all, because you know we've we've seen Keaton Slovis get hurt, we've seen all the quarterbacks at USC get hurt. So just being the backup at USC, he'd probably get you know some opportunities to play and at least show people he's recovered from the knee surgery and then have a better landing spot for those two years and transfer after this year. So my guess would be, guys, that it's going to be he's going to come back and stick around. Similar to Matt Fink went in the transfer portal last year and then came back. My gut says that that's probably going to happen with JT as well. So the governor, Gavin Newsom, was not bullish on the NFL playing in the fall in the state of California. What are the odds? What do people there feel about college football in the fall? It's so all over the place. And that because of, at least with the NFL, you have Roger Goodell, who's the, the czar. You know, there's, he's, he's, he's going to make the call, and I think they're going to keep going forward. And um, he could put pressure on governors like Gavin Newsom to, 
um, to have football. And, you know, we're starting to see California open up a little bit. And we, we got a lot of time. So I, it's, I think there's still optimism for that. With college football, it's so weird because there's no one that runs it. There's nobody running college football. And we're hearing different things from all the different commissioners where Larry Scott's saying it's like all for one, one for all. Everyone, you know, we're all going to play or none of us going to play. And you have other commissioners like in the ACC and the SEC saying like, you know, in the ACC, you have Clemson's going to play. I mean, their things are opened up in, in that state and in that community where for Boston College, are they going to want to open up or no? And even at, like in the, in the group of five, the, the American Athletic Club, you've got Tulane and, uh, in New Orleans. That's going to be a lot different than some of the other states. So I think it's, it's going to be regionalized and there's going to be pressure on some of the commissioners to do things that maybe they don't want to do. Uh, so I, it's just hard to say at this point, but I, I feel like I'm optimistic they're going to have to have a season because it would be devastating to college athletics. But will it be on time? Will it be delayed a couple of weeks? Will it be delayed in the spring? I don't think we need to know that for you know another like month and a half or so, but it will start to be getting to crunch time when you're getting to June. Uh, and, and, you know, when you need six weeks lead time to get into the season, you got to start making these decisions. And, and it's when the students could get back on campus, too. So I just don't think we know at this point, but it's going to be so convoluted in college just because we don't have that singular leader like you have in the NFL. You mentioned that running back from Texas. I'm interested as far as how they're recruiting and able to get running backs because with Harrell in there, obviously they're throwing the ball. Slovis looks so good. Pittman goes to the NFL, but I could argue that uh, you know maybe he was the best guy last year, but he doesn't have the best pro potential. So the point being they've got several receivers coming down the line there. They're going to be good in the next couple of years. What are they going to do? Because SC has been known for all sorts of great running backs. I'm wondering how the offense is going to incorporate those running backs, knowing that the air raid type of the philosophy is there. Yeah, I think you get a guy like Brandon Campbell out of Katy, Texas. Part of it, they didn't get any running backs uh, in this previous class. I mean, it was really, you know, there's no quarterbacks, there's no running backs. They really need to go out and kind of prioritize uh, those positions. But the, what, when we talked to Graham Harrell just, you know, from last spring a year ago, the plan was to run the football more. And I think you started to see that early in the season, but there was a bunch of weird occurrences that happened. First, losing your starting quarterback, game one. Uh, then you were running the ball a little bit more then. But then you get all three of your running backs hurt at one point. Your top three running backs hurt, and you're playing a freshman that you thought you were going to redshirt. Um, so I think there were some weird circumstances. I'm curious to see if they stay somewhat healthy. Is it going to be a 45% run, kind of like what they wanted to do, where it was, it was more leaning towards the pass, especially by the end of the year? You had four games by Keaton Slovis where he threw for 400 yards. So I think they're selling a guy like Brandon Campbell on. First of all, there's not a lot of depth right there. You're going to come in and, and play pretty much right away um, just because there's not a lot of bodies there, but also that they do want to run the ball more in this offense. They just didn't have as many opportunities. So I'm curious to see. I mean, we – it would have been good to see the spring, how that you went from year one to year two. All we've heard is that once you guys know the system better, year two was going to be a, a big springboard forward. It already was. I mean, they took a an offense that had talent that just didn't have a direction and was you know ranked in the middle of the country to a you know top five kind of passing offense or top ten offense, and that was just in one year with a young you know offensive coordinator and Graham Harrell. So. I think they had some optimism what they were going to do in uh, in year two of that system. We'll have to wait and see. But I think running the football was part of what they wanted to do in that plan. 
Is UCLA making any progress, or do USC fans look at UCLA, laugh, and go back to their own issues? <laughs> I mean, I think it's a big year. I, mean, I talked to uh, a buddy that covers UCLA yesterday, and he just wasn't very optimistic uh, on the team. Now, I think they've made some changes, but it's just it's just tough. It's just curious to see what Chip Kelly's doing there. Um, you, know, you just don't know. You you wanted to see some of those elements of the blur that they were running at Oregon, stuff that worked. And it seemed like he was kind of hell-bent on just making changes and doing things a different way. And uh, I don't. it just doesn't seem to be working. They're not recruiting the way UCLA could recruit. The whole point of bringing someone like Chip Kelly into a place like UCLA is, what do you do with the better players that you can get in Southern California and get them easier? Well, they're not really getting those players, so it's it's sort of weird that the way they're doing it. It's more of kind of a system thing. We see them be up and, and win some games that maybe they shouldn't win and, and just be down in other games and just not look good. Uh, they haven't won an out-of-conference game yet under Chip Kelly. Like, not a single one. So uh, there, there's, there's, uh, there's upside for UCLA, and I think this could be a good year where if they make some progress and get to a 7-5 and five or 8-win season, that would be big. But that's a pretty big jump from where they are right now. It's just hard to picture them uh, doing that. But, you know, Bruin fans, I don't know. I mean, there's, the reason you hired Chip Kelly is just he was the big guy. Everyone wanted Chip Kelly. It just doesn't seem to be working out right now. So I think, I think this year is a big one where they need to make some forward progress. Otherwise, you just have to think maybe you need to go in a different direction. So everybody knows, Ryan, that your area there – is a hotbed for recruiting, and everybody wants to be in there. You've got to get the players, particularly, obviously, the two locals, but in the conference and the surrounding states. I'm wondering if you were to list the top five schools who are having the most success in terms of recruiting Southern California kids, who would those schools be? I mean, it's a good question. See, the, the thing is, there's a lot of depth in Southern California, and it depends if you're getting, if you're trying to get the elite players, which I think more of the out-of-state, you know, the, the out-of-the-region programs have been doing a really good job. We've seen Alabama come in and get, and get players from Southern California. We've seen Clemson come in and, and grab some guys. Ohio State, uh, Texas, I think they've done a good job of cherry-picking, but the teams, I think the, the, the Pac-12 programs probably do the best of recruiting Southern California for depth. And you know, you're seeing like an Arizona State really doing well in programs like that. Of course, you know, the local schools, if you're USC or UCLA, you're getting a lot of players uh, from Southern California. We've seen Oregon has to be up there, uh, you know, coming in and bringing players. Washington, I, I think in general, it's been more of a Pac-12 thing where you're getting a lot of the really good players there. But the problem has been the cherry-picking of, of the really elite players going out of state, going out of the region, more than we've seen before. And I think some of that has to do with the fall of USC recruiting, where they sort of made it cool for Southern California players to stay, at least in the region. If they didn't go to USC, maybe they go to Utah, Oregon, or Arizona State, wherever. Uh, once USC wasn't recruiting at that high level, I think it opened up the floodgates for the national powers to come in and start taking those players. So I, I think it, it could be shifting a little bit. We'll see if that if that happens. But it's still the depth. I mean, I think the depth of the conference, you're seeing the, the top programs, how they're doing. They're recruiting Southern California well. 
Uh, but just trying to get some of those elite players, you want to make sure they're not going to, to Alabama, Ohio State. You want them to stay in the Pac-12 if you can. Yeah, certainly you want them, if they don't go to those elite schools, you want them to go to Arizona State, don't you, Ryan? And I'm saying that because I'm an ASU grad. Yeah. <laughs> ASU, I mean, for I was as critical of Herm Edwards as anybody. Uh, but, you know, and okay, what, they're 7-5, 7-5, but, you know, they're – I think they've done a lot better job. And to see a guy like Jaden Daniels, who's the highest, I think the highest ranked recruit uh, ASU had gotten, and, and then bringing in a bunch of the uh, wide receivers from Southern California last year uh, to, to kind of you know make that a really exciting offense. I, I think Herb Edwards has done a great job, and he's hired Southern California recruiters. He's got people from the high school ranks. He's got former NFL guys. I think it's just a pretty good mix. And it was it's unique. You know, it's, they're doing it a different way. And at a place like Arizona State, you always talked about them as like this kind of sleeping giant, the potential to bring in a lot of talent. Obviously, Tempe's a amazing place to recruit to. So, yeah, I think they have one of the, the programs that have done really well, uh, you know, recruiting Southern California. And you have to. And I, I think they've taken it more advantage of USC being down in recruiting than like a UCLA has. And they're right in the same city. Well, Ryan, you've done it. You've triggered Ute fans. I got them. I've got them uh, tweeting. They're tweeting graphics at me right now, thanks to you. Uh-oh. NFL draft <laughs> picks over the NFL draft picks over the last four years, and there's this bar graph: the Utes with 21, Washington with 20, USC with 15, UCLA with 14, all the way down to Arizona with two. PK, the U of A at the bottom of the list. Good. They're. They're. I mean, I got USC fans were mad at me on my podcast because I was saying. Utah's done a much better job of preparing players, of developing players than USC. They haven't had the same recruiting rankings, but they are able to get these guys ready for the NFL. And that's, uh, I mean, I think that's a fact. So, you know, having way more guys at the combine, you know, more guys drafted from Utah this year than USC's had the past two years. I get it. I mean, that's, that's a real thing. And I think we're seeing a, an up, you know, uptick in recruiting as well, being able to, to win the South and things like that. So, yeah, I, no, I get it. It's not a, I'm not saying they're not. They're doing a really good job. Kyle Whittingham does a really good job at that. Ryan, we appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us once again. Uh, it's always good to have you on the show, and we'll talk to you again down the road. It's great talking football. Thanks for having me on. There's Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. We're talking Cougars with Jay Drew next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and Jay Drew, BYU football writer for the Deseret News, joining us. Jay, good morning. Morning, guys. So, Jay, you've had a few stories lately that have gotten BYU fans all sorts of riled up. What was the feedback like to the story about uh, playing as an independent and what the schedule might look like? Uh, I, you know, I think it's been uh, kind of as you expected. Nobody wants it. It's, it's uh, one of those doomsday scenarios that probably way, way down on everybody's list of what they want to see happen, but um, yeah, I thought it was newsworthy. Nevertheless, when I read a, an article by Dennis Dodd in CBSSports.com that, that the independents were talking to each other and they were forming contingency plans. And so 
you know, I called a few ADs, uh, Liberty's AD, Army's AD, New Mexico State's, and found out that it was it was true, and that uh, one of the major things that I wanted to find out is how involved BYU was, because in the Dodd article it said BYU was not involved, um, but they actually are, according to Duff Tittle and some other BYU administrators. So. Um, so I thought it was newsworthy. I obviously don't want it to happen, uh, probably way down the list of things that could happen. But, but I think you have to explore all the, all the alternatives, and that's certainly one of them. So, so yeah, I, there was a little bit of uh, uh, negative brushback from, from some fans, but that's kind of to be expected, I guess. So you're telling me the rallying cry will be, give me liberty twice or give me forfeits? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot to that has to take place. I mean, number one, all BYU has contracts with all these schools uh, to play, and um, and so when, even if they say, "Hey, we're not going to play you, we're just going to play league games," then that's a whole nother can of worms. Is what you do with those contracts? Uh, so. You know, I could see attorneys getting involved and all that. But, uh, yeah, that's just one option is uh, playing Liberty twice, playing New Mexico State twice. Uh, and, and, you know, and who knows what's going to happen with Notre Dame. They've got the scheduling agreement with the ACC, but but that doesn't take care of all their games. So, you know, maybe BYU would play Notre Dame twice, and I'm sure people would, would love that around here. So. That's still a long ways away, but uh, hey, what else are we going to write about and talk about, right, you guys? Hey, how about paying off (laughs) that game they owe for the two-for-one and Notre Dame coming out to Provo? Or, as PK says, forget about it. Go to Vegas. But I just don't know if this would be the right year to go to Vegas and cash in on a massive crowd there. Yeah, I I think that other alternative is is having them come to Provo, uh, obviously, They'll be looking for games. They'll need games, and it uh, seems like that would be a good game, especially if you have to you know, move the season back where, where uh, we start August, or October 1st and, and play that uh, shortened schedule. Uh, perhaps that could happen. Who knows? So this draft just happened. They had nobody drafted for the first time in 2015, as I understand it. Uh, is that a trend or a one-off? Yeah, I hate to say it. I don't want to be negative, Nelly, but I think it's a trend. I, I mean, you're talking they haven't had two players drafted in the same draft since I think uh, Vakapuna uh, and uh, I can't remember Austin Colley. Colley. Yeah, um, you know, you look at it. It's understandable. I think that the University of Utah is getting way more players drafted. Uh, they're in a they're a P5 team. They've recruited really well, but. I think what's troubling for BYU fans is that Utah State is starting to get more players drafted. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, a trend, and it's troubling, and I think it goes back to recruiting. Um, some people say it's developing players. I, I think you got to have a, a, a base to start with, and I just don't see any recruits, even the ones that recently signed, where I can say that guy's going to play in the NFL. And I think you can look at Utah's signees and even some of Utah State's and saying, yeah, that, that guy's got 
NFL potential. And you run down BYU's list in the last couple of years, and of course, a lot of them go on missions, and so you kind of forget about them or whatever. And and you have that whole factor that comes into play with the age and all that. But I just don't see the the recruiting there that where they're where they're bringing in the, the guys that they can turn into NFL players. So what do you think the biggest change there? Is it the changes in the BYU staff over the years that that's kind of gone away? Or is it the fact that the Utes are recruiting and getting more of the players? Is the fact the whole Pac-12 is recruiting in the state? Is it all of these things together and it's a thousand paper cuts? Yeah, I I think it's more than a paper cut. I, I You know, I've, I've written about it and talked to you guys about it over and over. Utah going to the Pac-12 just killed BYU. There's just I don't know how else you you can you can paint it. Your number one rival in terms of recruiting um, with an LDS coach um, who can talk some of these players into that want a kind of a quasi LDS environment. Um, you got obviously the success they've had, the track record of putting players into the NFL, the schedule they play, the Pac-12 affiliation, the revenue that they have, where their facilities, locker rooms, all that are top-notch, and and BYU has to recruit against that, and then you bring in all these other Pac-12 teams that are coming into Utah and the areas that BYU recruits and recruiting LDS players as well, and not not afraid of the whole mission thing, like maybe they used to be you know, 10, 20 years ago. So, yeah, I, I think it's more than a paper cut, but, but uh, it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, I mean, if you're a high-profile player coming out of high school um, who didn't grow up kind of worshiping BYU or dreaming of playing there, uh, why would you go there? And I'm, I'm with all the other alternatives, and then I'm thinking uh, – even guys who maybe grew up with that in mind, like a Britton Covey, Chase Hansen, other guys are, are are not even going to BYU anymore. So it's a just a tough a tough road for Kalani Sataki and his staff to recruit these guys. It's really really difficult. I think what DJ's saying on the paper cuts is that it's a combination. So and it's not one thing, it's a whole yeah. bunch of things that is leading to this situation of not enough professional guys. Uh, and what you're saying, I want to make sure that I understand, that you're putting it on Utah going to the Pac-12, which brings its own issues, and then obviously Pac-12 teams coming in to recruit here. And you think th- that's the biggest issue as opposed to you, BYU going independent? Because that's two separate things there. Yeah, I, I do. I People say, I've, you know, I talk to a lot of recruits. I used to write a recruiting blog. I never really heard a kid say, hey, I don't want to go to BYU because, uh, because they're independent, because they don't play for a championship. Um, Contrarily, I've heard kids say, "Hey, BYU's schedule was attractive as an independent. Yeah. They play, you know, Wisconsin. They play, uh, you know, around the country, Missouri, Michigan State." Um, I've really never heard. Maybe it's uh, that feeling is out there, but I've never heard a kid vocalize to me um, that they 
won't go to BYU because they're independent. Now, they, I've had kids say, I'm going to Utah because they're in the Pac-12. I've, I've absolutely had kids say that. Um, but, uh, but I, so, you know, I, it's not negatively on BYU. It's just what their rivals have to offer right. that they don't. Right. Just, yeah. So having said that, how many Cougars do you see in that uh, elite players that could be in that NFL draft pipeline? I'm sure a lot of us can name a couple of them, but maybe you can name more than that, or maybe there aren't that many to name. Yeah, I think there's a few. You guys, Kyrus Tonga, Matt Bushman, the two guys that chose to return. Um, I just wrote an article yesterday about Brady Christensen. Um, he'll be a junior, but he's been on a mission. He's 23. He already redshirted a year. The offensive, the right tackle, he's up in the air as far as where whether he's going to go after this next year. Uh, so I, I think he's got a shot. I think the center, James Empey, is the exact same boat as Brady Christensen being a junior, uh, redshirt junior, uh, with a, a mission under his belt. Um, or, or two, Tristan Hodge, uh, He'll be a senior. He's uh, already graduated. He's uh, an offense uh, guard. Um, might have a shot. Um, I don't really see any skill position players out there for BYU that uh, that are, are ready. Um, you know, to, to make that make that leap. Um, unless uh, the you know the grad transfer running back from Utah, Devontae Henry Cole. Is as is good as uh, you know. Some BYU coaches think he'll be. Maybe maybe he'll have a shot. But um, but yeah, I, I think they'll have a few players drafted next year. Um, but how many? It's kind of determ depends on whether some of these guys uh, that I just mentioned, like James Empey or Brady Christensen, uh, forego their senior year and, and enter the draft. So what's best for BYU in its recruiting strategy as far as do they go after the guys they go after knowing that they may not get them or do they go after the next guy to have a better chance to get those guys and then hope they develop? Yeah, that's a good question. I, You know, I, I, I got to credit Kalani. He, Bronco used to seem to shy away. If, if Bronco knew he had a very, very slim chance of getting a kid, it seems like he didn't even try. And I got to credit Kalani, um, and this is just anecdotal. I don't have any numbers, but it seems like Kalani is casting a wider net, and he's jumping in and, and you know trying and trying for these kids, even though they're long shots. Um, and you know, you got to credit. Look what Mark Pope did with the right. Matt Harms from Purdue. Uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, um, it pays off. So I think you got to keep doing it. So I credit Kalani for doing that. But um, but yeah, I think it, you got to kind of look at it realistically if you're BYU and say, um, where do we want to put our resources? Our our limited um, resources, um, which you assume are limited because of uh, you know the revenue. They obviously don't have the biggest revenue stream as the Power Five schools. So where can we bet most effectively use our resources? Um, personally, you know, they, they've had some great success going to Hawaii over the years. It seems like they haven't gone there as often. That's one place I would look. And I think they, I think they need to get into Texas more. Um, they've had some success there and, 
and uh, you know, talking to Micah Simon, a receiver from Texas, he he tells me, hey, I, he thinks there's a lot of kids down in Texas who are kind of looking to get out of the state and uh, looking to play right away, and maybe that's kind of where you go. But but it's a it's a tough dilemma. I mean, I don't think there are any easy answers to be sure. Do you think that the current state of things, as far as it doesn't look like there's going to be seven-on-seven seven camps and that kind of stuff this summer, is going to lead to the evaluations of high school players being tricky and maybe more guys falling through the cracks? And so if you're not one of the elite, whatever level you're at, whatever conference you're at, maybe it opens things up a little more? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think, you know, obviously BYU used – their camps uh, really well to re- to find guys and and um, to recruit guys and not having those will be you know it could be a double edged sword it could be hurt them because they won't be able to evaluate um, players and then you know one of the other things let's face it the BYU kind of has to vet these kids and make sure they can handle the lifestyle and all that which is kind of you know getting back to the basketball thing is with uh, Matt Harms coming um he he hasn't he's never been to Provo that's it's amazing um that uh and you know BYU hasn't had a chance to kind of vet him or or maybe kind of go over all the little details of the honor code and all that and that could be the same with with football so um yeah, on the surface I think I think there could be some kids slip through the cracks but on the other hand I think there maybe could be the potential to to get a kid that you know maybe doesn't isn't quite sure what he's getting into maybe explore and mine the grad transfer market a little bit better because i know the BYU basketball coaches are a get old and stay old is a philosophy that i've heard them say but at the same time it's dangerous because football is a numbers game and you need to develop guys and you have a bunch of guys coming in for one and dones I wonder how well that will serve you. Yeah, I've advocated BYU do that. I I just think you can get a kid, especially a non-LDS kid in there, and, and you tell him, hey, it's only, you know, it's only 12 months or 10 months. Uh, and, you know, for the opportunity to play Division One football. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I've advocated that a lot. I think you have too. Patrick is that the you know you're you're going to have a hard time getting a kid to come in there and stay for four years if he's not familiar with the culture and the and and the lifestyle and all that. But but I think you can sell a kid on on eight months. Really, is what yeah. look at Tyson Williams. He literally arrived last whatever June, uh, July, and uh, you know he leaves in he leaves in uh, in. January, and um, if he hadn't got hurt, you know, who knows what would have happened. But but he didn't have to stay that long, and he had a good experience, and you know, set himself up for a possible shot at the NFL. You know, the difference between football and basketball is that basketball doesn't have a limit on the annual allotment of scholarships, whereas football's got to deal with that 25-85 rule. And if you keep giving those 25 scholarships to seniors, you're going to you're probably going to end up hurting your depth at some point. So I think you really got to pick and choose. But it looks to me like there's two things to look at. One, 
if you have a chance to get a skill player who you think is a starter, you probably have to do it. Because as you pointed out, that seems to be an area that BYU is struggling. And then the other place, if you just have a specific need at any one position, you know, you need a corner, you need a left tackle, you need whatever, uh, you know, a specific need. And it's just, I, I guess really the skill is kind of the same thing. It's just they figure to have a need at those skill positions. If they hit on another Harvey Unga at running back, then maybe they would have a few years where they wouldn't have a need at running back. But that doesn't seem to be the way things are going. Yeah, for sure. And You know, I think he, um, you know, you can look at their roster and say, here's what they need. They need a, they need a big-time receiver. They had a great uh, – it's been a few years, but Jordan Leslie came in and was, a, was an instant mm-hmm. impact player. Um, they need a rush end. They need to uh, desperately need a rush end, and it seems like you could get somebody in the transfer portal uh, that way. But, yeah, DJ, you're right. Just uh, I don't think they ought to do sign like 10 of these a year. But That's a problem. But specifically when you see what your need is, in, you know, two or three a year – and go after those, I think, is uh, would be a pretty good strategy. Jay, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for checking in with us. Uh, we love having you on the air. We'll get you again. Okay, guys. Stay safe and uh, whatever. Flatten the curve and all that other stuff so we can get football up here going again. There's Jay Drew from the Deseret News covering the BYU football program. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way.